You're listening to Sustainably Geeky, the podcast for everyday environmentalists. Hello and welcome to Sustainably Geeky, episode 10. I'm your host, Jennifer, and I'm joined today by Jen and Chris. Hi. (laughs) And we have a special guest with us today, Paul Johnson uh, with the A&M Texas A&M Forest Service. Hello. So um, I want to give a little brief introduction for Paul. As I said, he is with the Texas A&M Forest Service. His title is Urban and Community Forestry Program Leader. Um, he is an International Society of Ab- Agriculture, which is uh, also known as ISA, board certified master arborist, a municipal specialist, and is tree risk assessment and wildfire risk reduction qualified. Um, He's also been recognized as a true professional of arboriculture by ISA and received the Lee McSword's Current Achievement Award for Communications from NASF and is the president-elect of the ISA Board of Directors, um, and he graduated from Oklahoma State University with a degree in forestry. He is also the host of the weekly podcast, uh, Trees Are Key, which um, you can find on just about any podcast subscription service, I believe, correct? Yes. And uh, he has been suspects. (laughs) All the usual suspects. Um, And he's been a talk show radio host, newspaper columnist, extension horticulturist, university adjunct instructor, and a plant healthcare specialist. So Paul, it sounds like you've been pretty busy and um, I'll let you kind of tell us anything else I may have missed or uh, give a quick plug about the show if you'd like. All right. Yeah. Uh, so trees are key. The idea there being that trees are key to healthier, happier, safer communities. Trees do so many great things for us that it really is important that everybody know at least that trees are important and that trees need care and that there are professionals out there that care for trees. So trying to cl- close that loop. Absolutely. And I was very intrigued when I first learned about your show because I thought to myself, surely there's not like, that's a very, you know, unique subject, a very particular thing to talk about. And I was like, a weekly show about trees, surely he'll run out of stuff. But I looked and you've been going for about four or five years and uh, there are a lot of dynamic topics in there. So obviously um, you could just talk about trees, you know, nonstop and probably never run out of stuff. (laughs) Yeah, we have over 200 episodes so far, and I haven't run out of subjects yet. There was a time during the third season that it got a little bit tough, where I was only staying a couple of weeks ahead uh, topic-wise, but then I brought my team into it to help me do a little bit of brainstorming, and we're good for at least another season. That's awesome. Um, Do you take a break during the year? Do you record straight on through the year? Continuously throughout the year. The last episode of the year is kind of a compendium. I pull snippets from uh, different episodes uh, prior in that year. But other than that, 10 to 15 minutes long. So they're kind of bite-sized subjects uh, and they run year round. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's a nice thing. If you just want a quick listen, Um, it's it's a good, you know, informational session and you you may have questions. I learned a lot of things that I had been wondering about um, just, you know, listening to a few episodes. So wonderful. All right, guys. Well, let's get into the topic for tonight. Um, 
tonight's topic is kind of heavy. It's deforestation, which is why we brought in an expert on trees. And I'm really excited to talk about this, um, not necessarily because of the topic, which is actually a little depressing, but <laughs> because there is so much information and we have someone who um, you know, does this for a living. And as I started doing some research, I realized just how uh, broad, you know, this stuff goes. So, um, so I'll get us started by just talking about, you know, what is deforestation? Um, the official definition of deforestation is, uh, or for and forest degradation are, um, when forests are converted to non-forest uses, such as agriculture and road construction, um, at a faster rate than they can be replaced. So uh, this is mostly due to human activity, obviously. And um, we'll talk a lot about, you know, the consequences of that, uh, what that means for, you know, humans, for the environment. Um, but I want to go over some statistics, which these are some pretty you know, shocking numbers. Um, but according to Conservation International, tropical forests are being destroyed at a rate of, of about um, 8 million hectares or 31,000 square miles a year, which is an area equivalent to the size of the state of South Carolina or the Czech Republic. So when you put it in perspective like that, that's a huge swatch of land. And it makes me wonder, like, how do we still even have any forests left at that rate? <laughs> um, but you know, they also list a statistic uh, that <clears throat> since the 1960s, nearly half of the world's rainforest have been lost and every day about 81,000 hectares or 2,000 acres of rainforest, um, an area about 14 size, times the size of Manhattan are burned around the world. Um, and every minute, about 36 football fields worth of trees are lost due to deforestation. Um, so... I guess let's take a moment to kind of talk about those numbers and, uh, you know, what your thoughts are and, <laughs> you know, what, of, what do we think about it? That's, there's such big numbers. It's hard to visualize just how massive that is like at the rate that it's, that the, um, the deforestation is happening. It's kind of boggling. Yeah, I think I, I researched it and it said the rate that we're going, you know, if we don't increase or decrease at all, like it will all be gone in a hundred years. So when I read that, I mean, that kind of puts it a little bit more in perspective for me. Mm -hmm. um, but I did learn that a lot of it is coming out of, you know, developing countries, you know, they're trying to earn income for, you know, what they need to, I guess move their family forward and so a lot of it is happening in brazil indonesia mm -hmm. thailand and africa so these are all you know struggling countries third world countries trying to you know just do what they can to make a better life for their children um and unfortunately we did a lot of that in america when we were <laughs> trying to you know civilize this this nation so um one would hope that they could learn from our mistakes and, you know, see, I guess, the downside of all of this. So I don't know. We have an expert here on, on, the, on the line with us, so maybe he can kind of bring it to perspective as well. I really think that it is a very important issue. It has been for many, many years. 
And we've got a lot of professionals and a lot of great groups working on this issue. But it really is a matter of balancing out the immediate needs of the population, plus you do have a financial uh, aspect to it, with our long-term environmental needs. And that's where I think that it's tough to fit trees into a quarterly economic basis. Trees work on a different time scale than we do. Hopefully you're looking at decades to centuries that those trees are going to be out there. And so the payoff that we get from them, the benefits that we get from them don't always show up on those balance sheets at the end of each quarter, at the end of each fiscal year, unless you're doing something with them. And in a lot of those tropical areas, once those trees are harvested, it's not just the harvesting problem, but then when roads move into that area, when people follow to then try to eke out a living in that area, that keeps the forest from being able to regrow in that area. And so it's a matter of us balancing out what we want for 99 cent uh, hamburgers and really cheap paper products and the, the, the furniture that we import that's made out of tropical woods, all of those with the needs of that community and having worked with a few people uh, in those areas, they, they look very cautiously upon the information and the advice that they get from us because yes, we did all of that um, and we have been able to survive long enough that now there are actually more forest lands in the South than there have been in the last 30 years. And so you, you can get to that point where you then start to reforest uh, and, and have a really big impact. I think it's important what you said about, um, you know, trees exist on a longer time scale than us and they take a lot longer to grow and mature, but they also live longer than us. So when you think about the enormous, you know, amount of trees that we're taking out every day, every second, um, and you compare that to how long it took to get them to that point and how long it's going to take to recover that, um, you know, that makes it a lot, a lot scarier, I think, um, because, you know, you can plant trees to replace the ones you just cut down, but it's going to take decades for them to get back to the size, you know, and the age that they were and to be as, as good at sequestering carbon and providing all the other benefits they provide. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a tricky, um, a tricky formula, you know, to figure out. And, and especially like you guys were saying, you know, when, when people are trying to make a living with the resources they have, why shouldn't they have that right that, you know, that same opportunity that we did, um, even though now we know better and we're trying to tell them, not to do that, kind of what we've discussed in previous episodes where we're telling them don't burn coal, but we burned coal when we were at your stage of development. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's, that's a tricky thing. Do you guys know anything about like some programs that have been successful at balancing that economic need with, you know, conservation? Have you researched that at all? 
So Arbor Day Foundation actually has several programs that they work on both domestically and internationally. Internationally, they are doing a lot of work with coffee growers. So coffee is one of those crops that can either be produced out in full sunshine so that you remove all of the trees, or it can be, the, the term is often called shade grown. And so it's slightly less uh, production per hectare or production per acre, but is a more sustainable program. So Arbor Day Foundation works through that to try to help bring that coffee that is grown in the proper way into the American market and use it as a financial incentive for better management. And they do some of the same thing with chocolate. And so there's several programs like that out there. Okay. I've also read about uh, the Nature Conservancy is working with some of these developing countries in South America specifically to try to reincorporate more um, farming techniques that don't require cutting down trees, working around the trees or growing things, like you said, in the forest. Um, and permaculture's become a really big movement too with farmers and I think just, you know, people that have a, back, a big backyard. Uh, so that's encouraging, uh, but definitely need more of that and quick, <laughs> really fast. And I know we were um, kind of focusing on like forests, but I just wanted to throw out there, I mean, you see this in Texas all the time, you know, you have developers that just clear these areas completely for housing developments when they could potentially, you know, figure out a design around these very mature, lovely oak trees. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would love to have tons of awesome big trees around my house. So you, and even in like supermarket areas, you know, you want everyone's always fighting for the small little shrub to park their car under <laughs> the shade. So when we were doing sustainable design and development type projects, we were always trying to protect the trees. And I know like Fort Hood does a really great job at trying to, you know, do a 10 to one. Like if you have to absolutely cut down a tree, you have to replace it with 10 new ones, even though that's not always great. But we, we tried, you know, to to at least encourage trees to be planted. But it would be interesting to see how we could make it more um, accessible for, I guess, these developers and make it profitable for them to figure out how to save these trees and these new developments. So I know we just think about rainforests, but it happens in our own backyard too. It does, and that, I mean, I, I feel like you just lobbed me a softball because that's, of course, the center of where my passion is because of the connection between trees and people. And so our urban and community forestry program is all about helping to balance out those needs. We've got lots of research that shows that people will pay more for that development that has mature trees on it. We have research that shows people will spend more when they're shopping in an area that has big mature trees that's beautiful. And so helping them understand that and then build in as many incentives and in some cases requirements to build with trees rather than do what is probably the easiest conceptually, which is just come in, clear everything off, build what you want, and then replant. The biggest problem with that is not only do you lose the immediate benefits from those big, beautiful trees, 
but you also often have really big negative impacts on the soil so that even the new trees that are planted will never grow to be the same big, beautiful trees that were there beforehand. Uh, and so we work with communities like Austin and San Antonio who have ordinances that have requirements on tree preservation, tree protection, those kinds of things. Uh, we also have the Arbor Day Foundation program, Tree City USA, which recognizes communities that are actively engaged in, in managing those trees. And Fort Hood is one of our Tree City USAs. Uh, there's some really great examples of ways to address this global issue on the local level. Yeah, and um, Paul, you actually, in one of your earlier episodes, I think talked about um, when you were buying your house, you you specifically picked a house that had none of the features you wanted, but it had this beautiful tree in the front and a mini forest in the back. And that was your selling point. And, and you guys kind of compromised on a lot of the things you wanted, including the price because of these trees. That's you really awesome. did listen. <laughs> <laughs> I no, listened to a few early right. ones and a few later ones. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, I'm very blessed that I met my wife in forestry school. So we both are degreed foresters, both certified arborists. Uh, and so she's uh, amenable to some of these things. But we did. We increased our maximum budget by approximately 20% and bought a house that did not match what we thought our wish list was because of the lack of turf in the backyard, all of the great trees and particularly the big, beautiful oak tree in the front yard. That yeah, is the and, power of trees. And That's I will awesome. say, I notice living in Texas, you don't see a lot of big, beautiful, just old trees. So you notice it when you do see them. And houses that have them, you know, I, I would, I look at it and I say, wow, I would love to live in a house just because of the tree. You know, that I have no idea what it looks like inside. It could be falling apart, but it has this gorgeous tree that I just want to look at all day. Um, yeah, and I was going to mention Fort Hood is a Tree City USA. Colleen is a Tree City USA. Um, great program and really awesome. You know, if you're listening and your city is not already recognized, um, look into that and maybe encourage your city council or your local government um, to pursue that because, uh, you know, it, it really does a lot for the, the community just to have these trees. So, I know this is a, it's, isn't quite deforestation, but let's kind of talk real quick about the benefits um, of having trees in your community. Um, not just, you know, the benefits for the environment, but kind of for the atmosphere and the health of the citizens in general. All right. This is, this is a really important point for people to understand. So we all know that trees cast shade and we like to park in the shade at our big box store. We know that trees have an impact on property values. They clean the air. Uh, there's a meme out there that I think is really unfortunately poignant. And that is, if only trees gave free Wi-Fi, everyone would be planting them. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad they only give us the oxygen we need to survive. Uh, it's really, really true. Mm -hmm. But the more we can help people understand the connection between trees and people. So there's a researcher with the U.S. Forest Service. He's an economist, Dr. Jeffrey Donovan. 
And he has taken what is a really bad situation in the Northeast, emerald ash borer. It's a little insect that got imported uh, and has wiped out almost all of the ash trees in the Northeast. He has taken public health data from before the trees were lost and after the trees were lost. And we can show that infant birth weights have gone down. One of the primary indicators of how healthy the kids are when they're born. Uh, cardiovascular disease has gone up. He just got done with a sabbatical in New Zealand because they've got even better public health data than we do. And that there are connections between kids and health all the way from obesity and diabetes. Those that grow up around more trees are healthier. So that's that's the kind of the health side of it. On the education side, we've got research that shows that kids that can see trees from their classroom or their lunchroom are more likely to stay in school. They do better on standardized test scores. They're more likely to go to college. And what's the value of your lifetime learnings as a college graduate versus a high school dropout. Some really big numbers there. And then public safety, I think, is the other area that's really interesting. There's a fascinating study out of Detroit, I believe, that actually shows decreased domestic violence rates in the two sides of the public housing that look out onto trees and green space versus the other two sides of the public housing that just look off into the gray hardscape and other buildings. Just some really, really fascinating things out there that prove that trees are worth investing in. Man, I feel like I won parenting right now. Jeez. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Didn't know any of that. (laughs) That's, That's some crazy, you know, stuff. I mean... I know that I look, I feel happier when I get to see, you know, a beautiful park or greenscape versus a parking lot. But um, to hear those kinds of, you know, that kind of data is just Mm -hmm. shocking. And like you said, just a case for investing in that. I mean, how much cheaper is it to plant a tree, water it, maintain it? Every few years, you got to, you know, trim it. But that versus paying, you know, for the, the healthcare bills and the, the protection, the, the fire, police, and all that. I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer, but. Well, and the healthcare profession is starting to see it also. So there's uh, Park Rx, there's several organizations out there, and there are medical doctors prescribing time in nature because mm-hmm. they are starting to understand how important that is. The increased exercise that you get, the just that general well-being that you get from being around those trees. Uh, we're, I think we're on the cusp of a really great time for trees in the environment. At the same yeah, time we, that we're worried about all of these huge yeah. environmental issues, but that, that having spent the last 20 years working in all of this, this is really an exciting time also. Yeah. We, we talk a lot. I've mentioned a few times um, the book Last Child in the Woods, where he talks about nature deficiency disorder and vitamin N, basically, you know, getting out in nature. And um, the more and more I hear about it, you know, the more it just drives the point home that 
being outside is, is good for everything, your soul and your health. And I'll tell you what, when I was moving to San Antonio, I looked at the map and I was like, where are the trees? That's where I'm moving. <laughs> you yes. see this like green, this green belt in the middle of all this crazy concrete. And I'm like, that's where I want to be. <laughs> um, that's awesome. So I don't know if we can change gears or not back to like the rainforest, because that's what everyone kind of thinks about when we talked about deforestation, just to get back on like the, to the topic of our podcast but um i also know that like a lot of the the rainforest is clear cut for cattle grazing um as well so i didn't know if we wanted to touch on that a little bit if it's just a matter of doing you know eating less red meat or <laughs> something like that but i don't know if any of you guys want to talk about that yeah i mean the Cutting down a forest for food production is is one of the biggest you know reasons for it, right? So, um, as consumers, we have the power to help with that by, like you said, reducing what we eat, um, being more conscious of where our food comes from, demanding better standards, um, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, what's your what's your experience or thoughts on this, guys? I mean, the slow food movement is a big move. And I think that particularly in those states that have really invested in it and make sure that if you're getting public assistance, that public assistance can also be used at the local farmer's market. Those are the kinds of things that we as citizens can help the government understand the values that we have and support those programs that do make a difference. There are a lot of lands that aren't really useful for a lot of things other than ranching. Well, why would we take good arable agricultural land or forests and turn those into areas to feed uh, animal like cows? And so making sure that you're sourcing whatever it is that you're choosing to eat from that most sustainable uh, source has a, has a big impact, but we can't make everything that we recommend cost a lot of money. There are a lot of people out there, and if you're looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we've gotta make sure that we're able to put sustainability towards the base of those needs and make it accessible to as many people as possible. I think I read um, an article couple years ago about some experiment that was being done to like graze cows on a floating platform on the ocean. <laughs> you guys heard of this? No. <laughs> I they like somehow built this thing that floated and grew grass or something that cows can eat. And it was an experiment to see, can we, you know, use less land and still have these cows graze? And I don't know, it was somewhat successful from what I remember, but um, yeah, I, I'd have to do a little more research on that, but <laughs> I do think uh, more efficient farming techniques uh, for the plants that we grow, maybe hydroponics, um, you know, things like that, being smarter about what we grow where. And like you said, using the forest um, would would definitely help with some of the, you know, the uses for that. But I think the other another big reason that we cut down these trees is just for the wood, right? Like just to use it, the logging industry. So 
when I hear about them just clear cutting forests, in my mind, I'm just thinking you're you're essentially depleting your stock if you're not re- replanting, right? And to me, that seems like a bad business model, but, you know. Depends upon how long a scale you're planning on being in business. Uh, yes, a, a forest owned by somebody that wants to manage it as a forest can be sustainably managed. And clear cut is a term that is very loaded and it all depends upon how you define it. Uh, removing one tree can be a really small clear cut. Removing 10,000 acres is a much different impact on that environment. Uh, from an from a economic standpoint, the easier you make it to harvest everything, the more you can have pass some of those savings on to the people that are then buying those products. And also in many cases, you get a little bit more profit from that that then turns around into the economy in a different way. And so I, that's that's what I think is so challenging about all of these subjects is they're so interconnected that there is no easy answer. And so people just choose to give up because there's not an easy answer. The forests across the South, if, if you consider the center of the U.S. kind of the breadbasket, we call uh, the South and the Southeast the wood basket. We produce more woody material than is harvested on a regular basis across the South. You may not have heard about it, but the Forest Service, U.S. Forest Service, has a program called Forest Inventory and Analysis. And for the past four decades, they've been doing regular inventories on these little plots across the U.S. tracking growth versus mortality versus management so that we do know that we have that ongoing sustainable source of woody material because it has been one of the basis of the the success of the economy of the United States. Interesting. I think... um... I think when I read that like 70% of the world's plants and animals basically live in forests, right? That's where they can only exist pretty much now. Um, you know, maybe we can talk a little bit about like habitat loss and, you know, the, the impacts that are not only, you know, just water and air and, you know, greenhouse gas effects with climate change and all of that, but maybe just when people see the panda bear or, you know, these, these fuzzy furry animals and they no longer have a place to live, like sometimes pulling on those heartstrings can help a little bit. So I didn't know if maybe you should mention some statistics or, you know, some, some more information that maybe convince people to start buying wood products that are from sustainably harvest forests. You know, that does exist. There's, I think it's like the FSC certified wood products. So if you're building a house or if you're buying a house, you can, you know, ask these questions, be an informed buyer, right? Because that's what all of this is. We're, we're the consumers of a lot of the, these trees, um, whether it's your toilet paper or your, your what your house was built out of. Um, Buy recycled so- toilet paper. <laughs> 100% recycled toilet paper exists. Buy it and you will save lots and lots of trees. Right. Yeah, I found this company that makes toilet paper and paper towels and certain other paper products out of bamboo. Um, And I mean, I know a lot of these products are like 
really harvested from, I guess, like trees that have been planted for that purpose. They're not necessarily like chopping down old world rainforest for your toilet paper, but um, I don't know. I guess I just wanted to throw it out there. Like if you can talk about the animals and the habitat impacts um, of deforestation, it might help people be more inclined to make different choices. Absolutely. One of the biggest challenges that we see is called fragmentation. And that's so each different organism requires a certain size of area to be successful. Some only need a very small area. Some need a big, big area. Uh, one of the common culprits in this part of the world is the golden cheek warbler. It requires a mature ash juniper forest for part of its life cycle. And because it's an endangered species, then it impacts particularly issues of what the military can and can't do. So a big part of why the city of San Antonio manages their urban forests the way that they do is because of Camp Bullis being right outside and they have endangered species requirements that they must meet that they can't meet just on the property that they own. And so there's a cooperative effort between the military and the city to manage that area to be able to support that population of birds. And so it all depends upon what do you care about. People care about the fuzzy cute animals a lot more than they often care about the mosquito or the things that aren't quite so uh, uh, appreciated. But they're again, so interconnected that when one does well, the other one doesn't do so well. The, one of the most recent, I guess, stories that I've heard again is about the reintroduction of wolves into Yellowstone. That had a huge impact because but while they were gone, those grazers, the buffalo and deer, et cetera, were eating way too much of the, the tree growth, particularly along, along the streams and rivers. And so when they brought the wolves back in and now those animals were under a little bit more stress, they weren't eating as much, they weren't reproducing as much. Therefore, you were able to get regrowth around these waterways, which then turned into much better water quality all the way downstream. Uh, and so we are a very interconnected world. It's a matter of balancing out protection, preservation, and production so that we can do the best that we can for the billions and billions of us and all of the critters and fungus and bugs and everything that we, we depend upon, whether we know it or not. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you mentioned using uh, like alternative sources, Jen, rather than using trees. I, I want to real quick touch on that. In your opinion, is using bamboo more sustainable than trees? I mean, because when you look at how they're grown, water usage, things like that, when people are trying to be, you know, more sustainable, more mindful of what their products are made of, does that it, do you know if, if it compares or if it is actually better? Or Because I've heard, you know, mixed things, just like anything. 
from what Which I Which one learned, of us are you asking? <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, from what I learned, bamboo is considered more of a renewable resource because you can basically trim it and it still continues to grow um, versus, you know, trees, you cut it down and it's done. But I don't know, maybe you have a different opinion. I know they use more water, so it's kind of that balancing act we talked about. Maybe it depends on where you grow it. <laughs> Like everything, it probably depends upon how you're growing and managing it. It also depends a little bit on the production process because bamboo is a hollow tube. You then have to do things to it to turn it into other things. Uh, as much as I love the feel of a bamboo uh, fabric, if you think about what it actually takes to turn a fairly woody grass into a fabric that can be woven and turned into something, there's probably some, some steps of the manufacturing process that aren't very sustainable. Lots uh, of energy usage, I would imagine. Yeah, and I think there's probably some chemicals used. Uh, I've, I've got bamboo flooring actually in a previous house, not the current house. It's beautiful, it, it holds up really well. But again, to go from something that is a, a an empty cylinder to then be able to flatten that out and turn it into something that is usable. Like most research, it depends upon who's paying for the research on what the results often look like. But I would say from a from a forester standpoint, there's a lot of things that can be done to make woody trees also a very viable source. And so I think it's a matter of us working with all of those potential options and really trying to figure out how to do that cradle to grave assessment of what that impact is. If you're talking about carbon sequestration, wood is a great product to build with because that's what trees are. Trees are compressed air. The tree takes in carbon dioxide out of the air. In the process of photosynthesis, it rips that CO2 apart. It rips the water apart. It reforms it into sugar, which is the food that it uses to grow. And that growth turns into wood, which is primarily carbon. They then let off a little bit of oxygen and... It, 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 it's just kind of a fascinating process. This is so much fun. I'm loving this. I'm sorry. I haven't said much, but it's, I feel like I'm back in school. I took Park and Forest when I was in college. So it's like, oh, I'm starting to remember things I forgot. So are you geeking out, Chris? A little bit, a little bit. I'm just, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> well, and stop me at any time because as you can tell from the 200 plus episodes, I really can talk forever uh, on these subjects because there is so much that we should know. Mm -hmm. And yet most of us are ignorant of all of those little, little things that make the difference or make the connection between what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Is there a good like website or app or something that we can recommend to people? So if they're just like, okay, I need to get new floors or I need to buy whatever, whatever it could be. Do we, does that exist where they're like, this is the best option for what you're trying to do? 
I don't know that there really is. I think that every group, even the groups that are trying to do great things, build their own space and then only look at things from their perspective. And so I would recommend actually trying to get a a diversity of opinions and, and perspectives on what you should and shouldn't do. Um, I think this is one of those areas in particular that if you make your money from trees, you're probably a little bit more biased to trees. If you make your money from bamboo, you're more biased towards bamboo. And I don't know of anybody, even the great uh, uh, environmental organizations that are out there, they're still competing against all the other great organizations out there for the resources to do the work that they're doing. And so I don't have a good answer to that question. You mentioned FSC certification earlier, Jen. That's, I think, a good indicator, at least if you're, you know, just looking at products on a shelf. If you see that logo, um, at least, you know, that company's trying to implement a sustainable practice that's for stewardship council certification and they have the little tree with their logo so when you're looking at things look for that um, if you're shopping um, yeah it just goes back to being I guess a conscious consumer and kind of doing your research and it's it's tricky because you have to take the whole you know the circular approach like you said production and harvesting <laughs> Yeah, uh, and really then what do you do with it once you're done with it? So that it really is that trying to come up with that cradle to grave. So all the way from the, the, the original material through the production process to what are we going to do with it once we're done with it in its current state. And it's hard because we live in such a linear economy that the grave part really isn't considered. It's just, oh, it's just a way. And, we, and you don't have to think about it. So it's really hard to try to, because like you said, everybody tries to make their own space. All of these sustainable resources are all scattered all over the place. And it's a lot of work to try to gather that information to make a proper informed decision. It, it is a lot of work. And if you don't have the real desire to do it, um, you can just say, ah, just screw it. I'm just going to buy whatever's cheapest and easiest to get. And that's kind of the end of it. So until we live, till we really sort of understand we need to have that circular economy, it's going to be hard to make those choices, but we can do it. Well, we just have to keep informing ourselves until it becomes mainstream. Well, and that's the, that's the reason to have a resource like this show. Yeah. Why I do the show that I do is to try to take those little bits of information that we can gather and then share them with as many people as possible. Yep, absolutely. Um, Jen, did you want to talk any more about other consequences of uh, deforestation? Uh, yeah, I think... We've talked about, you know, climate change on previous episodes, so, you know, not to, like, repeat, but, um, so there's this whole, and I'm sure our guest speaker can <laughs> describe it more, but just the whole, you know, the cutting down of the trees and, and the impact that that has on the carbon sequestration effect that, that the trees do for us to make our planet, um, 
you know, less hot <laughs> over time. So I don't know. We'll we'll leave it to the expert who can explain. But yeah, I think that's an important one to touch on. Well, I I, I think that uh, climate variability, climate change, whatever uh, terminology you want to use. I think that it is important that we look at the role that trees do play. So trees have an immediate impact on their local environment. The water that they pull out of the ground, they pump up through the trunk of the tree, out through the leaves, has a physical cooling effect right in that immediate area. And so that's one area. The city of San Antonio actually has a tree rebate program where the city will give you money if you will plant trees around your house to save future energy costs. So they're investing now so that they don't have to build as many power plants in the future. Uh, then you have the just what we talked about with photosynthesis, the absorption of the carbon out of the air and condensing that into wood. It then depends upon how that tree is used on whether that carbon is then released or not. If that wood is turned into a two by four and that two by four is put into your house, that carbon is now locked up there as long as that house is there. If on the other hand, those trees are being pushed over by a bulldozer and burned in order to have the, the quickest, cheapest way of getting the trees out of the way, then you're immediately releasing that carbon into the air. What most people don't realize is that there's as much going on underground as there is above ground. And so a significant amount of the carbon sequestration from our trees comes from the carbon that they pump down into the ground, both into the root system and into the other exudates that they do into the soil that feed the microflora and the microfauna in that soil that help build healthy soils. And then if we want to talk even further, you can then get into the whole water issue, but we can Yeah, let's do later. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so that's the other stuff, right? So, sorry, that was my dog. Um, so when you cut down the trees, obviously there's no anchor left in the soil to kind of keep the soil there. So the root structure is what keeps your soil in place. And so there's a lot of, you know, homeowners who care about their own property um, more than anything else, right? So we can talk about that. But if you have a ton of trees that you're just going to clear out for some stupid reason, <laughs> think about all the soil that you might have to start paying to, to replace um, in the event that you do that, because the, the soil will just wash out and then that causes water quality issues down the line too. So you could feel free to talk about that. <laughs> Erosion, yeah. Absolutely. There are communities uh, both here and abroad, that are actually buying forests and managing those forests as working forests, not so much for the products that you get off of that forest, but because of the quality of the water that comes off of that forest. So when water falls from the sky and hits the leaves of the tree, some of it gets captured by the tree. Some of it runs down the branches to the trunk of the tree and then runs down the trunk of the tree into the soil, so it slows that water down, keeps it from running off. The faster water moves, the more soil it can carry. And so just the physical act of slowing the water keeps us 
from having as much erosion. You don't tend to have as many nutrients wash off into the waterways that can then cause all sorts of uh, issues with water quality. Um, and then when all of that then either does or doesn't run into the water source for that community, you actually have higher quality water that needs less treatment, which therefore costs less to treat so that everybody can have good, clean, healthy water. And that is one of those basics of having a healthy populace. So trees act as a filter for the watershed, basically. Correct. Yeah, I find it interesting that, um, you know, I lived in Belton and we were right on Lake Belton and um, a lot of our neighbors were just clearing trees so that they could have, you know, a really nice view. And they were all like uphill from me. And so we had all those massive rain events the past couple summers. And all of a sudden there's these new culverts that are just like diving through our property lines and everyone's freaking out because they're losing, you know, soil. And I was like, you guys are cutting down all the trees and it's impacting your neighbors, but it's also impacting you, you know, so they don't think about that stuff. You know, they just want the view of the lake. And so uh, it's happening in our own, in our own neighborhoods here. Um, and yeah, and then that water is ending up in Lake Belton, which is where people want to swim and recreate and, you know, have a pretty clear lake, you know, not have it full of silt and everything. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, that's um, that's a tough one because you can't convince people of that stuff ahead of time until they see it a lot of times, and then it's too late to you can't put the tree back in the ground. The roots, you know, they're all. Yeah, I think the the flooding really gets the city's attention sometimes too, because that's one of the main things that like. You know, people complain about it. Their house got flooded and, or, you know, the streets are flooded. They can't get around, go where they need to go. And so that's part of this too. You know, trees are taking up so much water and keeping it in the soil. Um, so the minute we cut down all these trees, there's just a ton more water going into the, into the streets and into the stormwater drains and all of that. So a lot of, like, I know the city of Queen had some areas they were really worried about with flooding and, in my mind, I'm like, we should have just kept those trees <laughs> in that area or plant some more trees in the area, you know. Definitely. It's, yeah. It's, well, that's, that's why the name of the podcast is Trees Are Key and not Trees Are The Key. So there's a, there's a national organization, the Sustainable Urban Forest Coalition, that says trees are the key. But I can't go in and talk to a group of floodwater engineers or talk to a group of police chiefs and say that trees are the key to stopping flooding or trees are the key to reducing domestic violence. But we do have research that shows that they are a key. And so that the whole point is trying to make sure that we're keeping this topic of trees in the forefront as a nature-based solution for so many of the problems that we that, that we're seeing as a uh, as a community yeah trees are so cool <laughs> like the more Everyone we talk knows. about it i'm just like oh man i just want all the trees 
everyone needs to go see the Lorax who's watching this show right now if you haven't seen it. <laughs> I know, that was sad. Happy ending, but yeah. So, okay, we talked about a little bit about sequestration. So, um, is the solution just to plant more trees and wait for them to get bigger and grow back into beautiful forests? Is that going to fix the problem? you know, that we've seen over 50, 60 years of cutting down trees. Uh, it's going to take a long time, obviously. Could we just plant a whole lot right now and then, you know, balance it out? Or, or what do we need to do? Is there a certain kind of tree that would be more effective? I mean. Fascinating question. No simple <laughs> no. answers here. Uh, <laughs> trees are one of the answers. However, a lot of the carbon that we have used were trees forever ago that then got buried underground and turned into oil or coal or those kinds of things. And so we're not probably going to be able to just plant our way out because trees do require water. And we have significant portions of this planet that don't have enough water for the people that live there, much less a whole bunch of trees also. But it is a matter of putting the right trees in the right place for the right reason, taking care of them, because we've talked a lot about how great trees are. There's also a whole dark side of trees in terms of anything that's big that grows up is eventually going to fall down. And when you put trees and people close to each other, there are challenges that we see. But if of this state, now when it happens, then we, it, we don't hear it, right? So it doesn't happen. Well, the, the governor of this state is in a wheelchair because of a tree. And oh, so wow. you've, got to, you've got to manage the risk that trees pose at the same time that they are solving other issues that we're dealing with. And that's why we have certified arborists. That's why we have foresters. We have professionals that manage and care for these trees, but most people don't understand that that cost is an investment because the trees don't send you a bill for all of the great things that they do for you. It's really tough to understand when you've got to have that tree removed eventually and it's hanging out over your house and you don't want a big hole in your house, that it's going to cost a couple of thousand dollars to have that tree removed. At the same time, those people have probably been paying anywhere from $50 to $100 a week for lawn care for the last 20 years for something that, now I'm, I'm not a grass person, I'm totally biased for trees, but that lawn grass isn't doing the same amount of good for us that the trees are. And yet, because it comes in little bitty drabs of $50 a week or I need to fertilize some extra this month, so it's $150 this month. If every time you spent money on lawn care, you put that same amount of money aside to care for your trees, it wouldn't have the same sticker shock when you have a real professional come by and say, oh, you need to do this, that, and the other, and it's going to cost $1,500 versus the guy that knocks on your door with a pickup truck and a chainsaw and says, oh, I'll do this for $500. Everybody wants to go with the cheapest option, but our trees are too big, too dangerous, and too important to make that decision. 
Yeah, I was um, when I was in school. Um, there was an option to take a chainsaw course. I did not take it because I was scared of chainsaws, and I still am. Um, the, yeah. the Canadian doesn't know how to use a chainsaw. Chainsaw uh, course. <laughs> I know how to use an axe, though. Um, there was a, a term that stuck with me. It was called widowmaker, and they were and my professor was talking about trees because we don't trees we don't see them as living things because they just stand there and kind of sway in the wind a little bit, but that's it. So it's hard for, I think, humans to see them as anything other than just like rocks. And so when a tree comes down, people get in wheelchairs, people break their backs, they can die and they need far more respect than what we give them. So I am happy to have I, my uncle is an arborist. He owns a tree removal business. I'm happy to have him come in and tell me what I need to do and what he would do. And yeah, it's well worth it because they can, they're gorgeous and lovely and give us so much, but yeah, they'll knock you down. Yeah, it, it can be bad. And the nice thing is, is those are jobs that can't be outsourced. No. So you're not ever going to do away with the need to manage trees. And so we've got to work with our future generations to understand not only the value of the trees and the value of caring for them, but to see this as a viable profession to move into. It's not easy, uh, particularly if you're the one out there climbing the tree mm -hmm. with the chainsaw. I mean, it, it's hard work. Uh, I guess here's, here's one, since this is Central Texas oriented, uh, at least somewhat. So the Texas Tree Climbing Championship will be in Georgetown here in May. And so it's one of those really cool opportunities to see professional tree climbers competing with each other to see who's the best in the state. And then our best representative goes to the International Tree Climbing Championship, which will be in Knoxville this summer. It's such a cool profession and it's appropriate for everybody from as geeky as you want to be, because with the, the, the increased use of computers, drones and, and, and things like GIS, geographic information systems. I mean, you can you can not even hardly like trees and still find a good, viable job in our field all the way out to the, the guy or the gal that wants to be outside all of the time, that wants to go out and work and get into good shape rather than go pay somebody to go work out in an air-conditioned building to get in good shape. I mean, it, it's really a fun field to be in. Just want to be a hobbit and like live in a tree. <laughs> You know, <laughs> there are places where you can uh, climb the tree and then hang out in the hammock overnight. So there's some fun things out there. Yeah. And there's like a place in New Braunfels that has treehouse hotels, I think. Mm -hmm. Never been, but I did not know that the uh, tree climbing championship was a thing. So I might have to check that out because <laughs> I would love to see that. Yeah, it is really cool. I That's mean, for the, for the most part, people are risking their lives on one or two ropes in order to better care for the people that live under those trees. It's 
in many cases, it's a calling uh, as much as it is a profession. Amazing. Well, did you guys have anything else you wanted to bring up with regards to deforestation? That we didn't touch on. We've kind of been all over, but I think we've had some good, good conversation, good points brought up. Jen, Chris, the takeaway, we usually try to end with like, what can you do to make a difference? Right. <laughs> so what were our takeaways for that? Just be a better, a more informed buyer, consumer, know where your products are coming from and how they were harvested and grown and where they come from and all of that. So obviously we always try to say stay local um, and just do your research, I guess, since there's no one-stop shop you can go to for everything. Um, yeah, maybe there's some, there's some more resources out there. So post and comment on our podcast and let us know what you guys use. Yeah, I, I would say I would add to that and say um, groups and organizations that care for trees. So Arbor Day Foundation's a great one. Uh, you know, the Texas A&M uh, Agricultural Services has a lot of great resources for not just trees, but all plants and you know, anyone that's doing any kind of farming or agriculture activities. Um, Paul, do you have any other uh, resources to share or websites, videos, anything like that? Certainly. So American Forest is one of the oldest conservation groups uh, in the United States. They've been working in this field for a long time. Uh, you can also, if you'd like to know more about how great trees are, there is a new resource within the last couple of years called VibrantCitiesLabs.com, and it is a curated source of information about how to better care for your community forest and why. And so there is links to the research that shows that uh, transportation is safer when there are trees along our roadways because people slow down when there are trees closer to the road. And so even though it seems kind of counterintuitive and we have state organizations that have rules about where you can have trees and can't because they're immovable objects, when you're designing, if you're trying to create a more sustainable environment in which to live, making sure that trees are part of that uh, solution is really important. Awesome. Anything else you guys want to share or, oh, I did have one other thing. Uh, carbon credits. There are some programs that uh, you can, you know, invest in and, and also make sure that your money's kind of going to help, you know, maybe reforest. So um, that's another way you as a consumer, as an individual can get involved and in obviously just buying trees and planting them yourself if you have land and resources for that. <laughs> and even if you don't have the land and the resources yourself, most areas of this country in particular have tree nonprofits that are working in that realm. So here in Central Texas, Tree Folks is the good example. In Houston, you've got Trees for Houston. Uh, you've got the Texas Tree Foundation up in the Dallas area. So my tip 
for everyone is make sure you're planting at least one tree every year. Well, if you do that in your own yard, you might run out of room in a few years, but that doesn't mean that you have to stop planting. Go out and help these organizations. Most of them depend upon volunteers to help them achieve their goals. And so whether it was helping to recover from the fires in Bastrop or the flooding along the Blanco River, organizations like Tree Folks are integral to us responding to a lot of these other natural disasters that also have a huge impact on our forests. Lots of great resources out there. Well, um, thank you so much, Paul, for sharing your knowledge with us and giving us all these cool things to think about. Um, we're going to transition over now to what we call our green life hack. Uh, so this is something that we do or the product that we use or something we've learned in the last month um, that we want to share with our listeners. So, um, Chris, would you like to go first? Sure. I've probably, I think we've all talked about around this. This is my reusable cup. This one's a Yeti. This is new because my other one was literally falling apart and Ray had enough. And was like, <laughs> <laughs> it was, it came out in three pieces and he was like, that's done. This you need a new one. So a reusable cup doesn't have to be Yeti. Um, most uh, coffee shops or places you get uh, liquid in disposable cups will put it in here. I've had Starbucks iced teas in here. I've had a smoothie put in here um, and you often get a discount. So worth it and it's you know it's my daughter's favorite color she loves this one it's a reusable cup yay and what is your life hack for the month um so this is a reusable wine bag can you see the like mm -hmm. little okay I always forget to bring this, <laughs> but like I remember my bags for like the grocery store and stuff, but like when I'm going to Specs or to Liquors or just, you know, whatever, like they, they're always giving you like a cardboard, um, you know, wine tote. So I'm just showing this to remind myself to bring <laughs> this more often and have one in the car. So that's my reusable wine slash beer bag. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, well, mine is the garden that I am trying to start, but the weather didn't really cooperate this last weekend. Um, I've started plants inside my house a couple months ago, you know, staggered. And, and so I have the garden bed up and I don't know if you can see it, It's kind Yay! of hard. In the but so, yeah, friend <laughs> helped me build a raised bed. And I have the little pipes over for the shade cloth. And once this weather warms up for good, um, I'll be planting plants like veggies and things like that. Um, but this episode has also inspired me to start planting some trees because right now the only trees that have been added to my yard since I moved in are the ones that start from my neighbor's, you know, seeds dropping. And I have a little mini forest actually that kind of sprung up over a few years kind of by surprise. And now I'm like, well, I don't want to remove them, but it looks really weird where they're placed. So anyways, <laughs> um, but yeah, so my garden and getting some more trees out there. It's my green life hack. So. 
Paul, what do you have for us? <laughs> well, my recommendation is to think twice before you fertilize. So this time of year, there's lots of marketing dollars spent on trying to sell us stuff because it's spring. Most of the time, we don't need to fertilize, particularly for our yards, our trees, those kinds of things. In a garden case like yours, you might need to do a little bit of fertilization, but for the most part, we over-fertilize as a community. Uh, I, I spent a little time with Cooperative Extension in Oklahoma City, and we would do thousands of soil tests a year, and rarely did any of them show any need for nutrient addition. Uh, so save your money. If you do need to do a little something extra, get a locally produced compost. Compost has a wide range of great nutrients in it and not limited to just the three or five numbers that are listed on that bag. And so it's a little bit more holistic, plus it's, it's helping put some economic incentive into the grave side of that cycle that we were talking about. When trees die, when the grass dies, those things, we've got to do something with them. And that final potential use is turning it back into organic matter that feeds our soil, feeds our microbes, and gives us a healthier environment in which to grow all those wonderful trees and veggies. That's, That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> we just did a podcast on composting. Yeah. Very good. And I will also say that planting season for trees are pretty much over this year. Tree roots primarily grow in the fall when the leaves are falling off of our deciduous trees and in the spring, right when the buds are breaking and turning into leaves. So by this time, it's a little bit late, but wait until October or November uh, this fall, and it's a great time to plant. Would you also suggest that for somebody who lives in a northern climate? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sort of. Except, okay. of course, your winter is the inverse of ours. It's much, much longer. Very long. And ours is very, very short. Mm -hmm. But the same idea, yes. You, The further north you go, the longer you have before you get to that season. But again, as soon as those buds start to break and turn into leaves, that's when the roots are actively growing. Because it's okay. that root growth that actually tells the top of the tree to break bud and grow. And if you plant it after that, then that tree basically just sits there in that same little pot shape that you planted until the roots start to grow in the fall. So it's better just to wait until the fall, get your tree, plant it. In your area, it depends upon how hardy a tree you're working with, you're dealing with much more severe cold than we are. Yeah, I was going to say, I would worry about putting it in the fall and then it having to go through winter as a little baby if it's small, but I guess. Yeah, we don't have that problem around here. Yeah. <laughs> the three weeks of winter that we get usually yeah. aren't very tough. Oh, we're working. I think we're in our sixth month right now. I'm done. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> well, that is our show. Um, we uh, will be posting this to, as usual, Stitch, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. Um, before we go, uh, Jen, where can we find you online? 
you can find me here at this show, Ethically Geeky. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Uh, Chris, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me here at Sustainably Geeky, Marginally Geeky. We are doing a podcast tomorrow. The book is The Authorities by Scott Meyer. And then we are doing a podcast for Epically Geeky, which is the umbrella of all of this. Um, and we're doing a podcast on Sunday. And you can find me on Instagram at Cedar Birch Cottage. Awesome. Paul, where can we find you online and feel free to plug your show one last time? All right. So if you want to find me on Instagram or on Twitter, I am Treevangelist. Love I've it. Been, I, I, my, my wife came up with it uh, and she was really, really sad because she wasn't doing social media at the time. But when she decided to get into it, she was upset that she gave me such a great name. <laughs> and so I gave her her name. She's Arborholic addicted to helping trees and the people that care for them. Uh, and so Tree Evangelist on uh, Instagram and Twitter, you can find Trees Are Key, our weekly podcast at iTunes, Google Play, all of the, the typical subjects. Uh, or you can also go to treesarekey.com uh, to see where it's hosted on SoundCloud. Great. Yeah, I love a good pun name. So Tree Evangelist, <laughs> I think in your show, you talk about upcoming tree events. Uh -huh. <laughs> Perfect, because trees. Um, so, yeah, you can find me online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Het's Gonna Be Me, speaking of word puns. <laughs> um, and, of course, here on Sustainably Geeky, Epically Geeky, and Marginally Geeky. Um, and, again, we'll be posting this to all of the usual channels. If you have any comments, questions, or show ideas you'd like to share with us, feel free to do that on our YouTube or Facebook channels. Thanks for listening. Good night. Bye. Bye. This has been a presentation of the Epically Geeky Network.